welcome to Thrive 9 to 5, a podcast all about how you can kick ass in the office and in life without feeling exhausted or overwhelmed. Each week, I'm sharing simple self-care strategies, mindset hacks, and time management tips so you can get promoted without burning yourself out. My goal is to help you create success without sacrificing your soul or your sanity. I'm your host, Celeste Harrington. Hey Thrivers, I am so stoked to bring you our first guest to the Thrive 9 to 5 podcast. You ready? A little drum roll. I have Michaela Davis here. I'll let her introduce herself in a minute. But Michaela and I met actually, I was thinking about this the other day. Michaela, I was like, how did we even meet? I remember we met on Instagram. We were talking about a certain program, but I don't remember exactly how we connected. I really don't. It's kind of funny. We became very fast friends and have probably been talking for, has it been like a year? ish. I don't know. I think so. But we connected quickly over health stuff. Michaela is an MPH. I studied health education, health science. I declined an MPH opportunity down in San Diego. (laughs) And we just love staying in touch. And Michaela, tell us all about you. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. I am Michaela. I am a health and wellness coach and I work, my expertise is really in behavior change. Yeah. I have my page from Yale University. I run a coaching practice and I'm all about kind of figuring out where you are, where you want to be and using behavior change techniques together. You're also a yoga practitioner. Oh yes. Yep. I am. <laughs> I'm a yoga teacher as well. I am. And I feel like that it's all so related. Like I come from a public health background, spent many years working in public health. I studied social and behavioral sciences. So really kind of behavior changes what I know about, but yoga factors so much into that kind of the mind body connection and just really knowing yourself and what works for you. Like that is the center of all behavior change, essentially. Yeah, for sure. I remember studying in undergrad, like all the theories of behavior change and like, I can't even remember them right now besides like pre-contemplative and contemplative and all of these different, that's just one theory is it the contemplative theory of behavior change? Maybe I don't even remember the Tra- name of it. I think it's the trans theoretical model for behavior change. Go. This is Possibly, why she has yeah. her master's in this and I have a bachelor's in this. <laughs> um, yeah. And so where do you start with someone who like really wants to change a behavior? It's kind of hard. I mean, either plenty of behaviors like flossing, you cannot get me to floss. If you can get me to floss, I mean... <laughs> Pay me big bucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, flossing, to be honest, that is not my favorite either. So I get that. Yeah. And behavior change is hard. It is so, so hard. And especially when it comes to health, when you think about health. When I did my MPH, I studied sexual and reproductive health. And that's like one of the harder areas, I think, even with behavior change. Like people know what's going on, they know what to do, but then still don't do it. So when you're working with someone to create behavior change, I think. I mean, this stuff is going to sound so simple, but really it's about figuring out what is the smallest thing that you can do to actually help you do the thing you want to do. So starting small, really, really small and really kind of peeling back the layers and figuring out why you even want to do this. Why is this important for you? And then figuring out kind of small steps to help you get there. So flossing is one example, right? Like, why do we want to floss? We don't really, (laughs) it's annoying. It's like, this extra step. But if you peel it back, like maybe you have lots of cavities and you're like, 
I want to floss so that I do not get more cavities and don't end up with a huge dentist bill. Like maybe that's an incentive and then figuring out small steps to get you to floss. Yeah. I always think about that whenever I'm doing like mindset coaching with folks is we do things because we want a particular outcome and, or want to avoid the consequences of something. And so it's interesting to be motivated by like consequences of like a medical bill or cavities. Okay. I kind of want to go off this and talk about, I did not know you were in the reproductive health field. I was too. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. You worked at Planned Parenthood, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Did we talk about this? I think we, we briefly, briefly, but not in depth, not in depth at all. What do you do for behavior change in the reproductive health space? Oh my gosh. It's so, I mean, this is worthy of a conversation people. I know we're talking about thrive (laughs) nine to five, but your sexual life is very much part of that. (laughs) Am I right? Definitely. Yeah, no, it definitely is. I mean, it definitely is. So my thesis, my master's thesis was called, I want your sext. And it was about sexting and sort of that behavior between it was, yeah, that sexting behaviors and whether or not they had implication on sexual health. Oh. And in that, yeah, it was pretty interesting. I mean, in the end, it, it was like there wasn't really, but it was an interesting study. And at the time, it was like quite a few years ago now. And sexting was like, I don't want to say new, but like newly being studied. So it's just interesting to think about how technology can even have implications on sexual health and behaviors. Oh, and for sure. like, is it right? Is it more risky if you're sexting? Is it not? So, yeah, that was pretty interesting. But I mean, there's so many things. Like, if you think about behavior change in sexual health, like, even down to just simple behaviors, like wearing a condom with a one yeah, contraceptive, not, you know, sure. like yeah, taking birth yeah. control pills, like all exactly. of it. That's exactly. what I did when I was teaching young boys how to put a condom on. And it was like, are we going to do this in real life? Or is this like just for fun in the classroom? <laughs> because you just never know. And exactly. It, like we're not in the field watching them do this. So it's really, no. and I don't want to be in the field maybe really, but it's so fascinating because it's like, you learn these tools. Like if you want to go back to flossing, like, of course I know how to floss. Of course these kids know how to put on a condom appropriately. My friend, Tanya, who's going to listen to this, who we used to teach together is going to be laughing right now about all of our days, like <laughs> checking for the puff of air to make sure there's not a hole poked in the packaging, checking for the expiration date. Don't use your teeth, like pinch an inch. You guys, this is like my like, life in grad school. <laughs> I mean, and that, so that's fun. what was so fascinating to me was just that. So education, obviously there is a piece of education, right? In certain yeah. communities, in certain countries, in certain places, like education is a big piece. But then when you think about, at least in the US, where I, where I went to grad school, like most people know, most people know the things you're supposed to do. It's like flossing, right? right. Most people know, yeah. you know, but you still don't do it. So that's why I was so interested in it too. Cause I'm like, people know, but they're still not doing it how do you help people make those changes in their life? And I mean, I haven't cracked it by any means. I don't think anyone yeah. has. No, um, someone would be a billionaire right now if they figured it out. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I mean, I worked at um, the California Family Health Council. When I worked there, I remember there was a competition that was like looking at different types of condoms or like creating a condom that's different that will get people to use it more. And like, this was like, like more whole, enticing. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it, I mean, it didn't work because we no. never heard about those condoms ever again. No, so. not at all. <laughs> I remember that. Like when we always joked because our cars were full of like penis models and condoms. We're like, what is going on? Like, 
your, your car. And uh, which actually, if you are storing condoms, your car is not the best place because it changes temperature and it'll impact the efficacy of condom. hundred <laughs> percent. If you're in Barbados, I got a smoothie the other day and it came in, you know, one of those plastic cups with a dome on the top or whatever. Yeah. I left it in my car to go do something. I came back and the entire cup was melted. That is so insane. Imagine what, it, what, it's, imagine it's, like, what it's doing to your latex or landscape condom. Yeah, exactly. that's so it is fascinating. And I don't know, when I think about it from, I mean, I could talk about condoms and sex all day because I think it's so fun. Yep. Um, I miss that job so much. Like one of the most rewarding jobs. It's too bad that they really don't pay very well. No, <laughs> not non-profits. at all. Not at all. I mean, it, it is a really fascinating job and rewarding. Yeah. And so I, I feel rewarding. like, I don't know, there's so, there's so much there. There really is. There is. Um, and another project I worked on was um, with the transgender community in India when I lived in India. That was more on HIV prevention, but yeah, super, super interesting. Like so many cultural factors that come into play and like, certainly know, there's, there's a lot there. Yeah. I hope that we continue to always have funding and resources available for that work because it is so important. Oh yeah, um, definitely. Oh my gosh. We could talk so much about like even behavior change in that space. Like, oh my gosh. So it's, it's not only are you fighting the mindset of the individual, but also like the mindset of the culture that they live in. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. The mindset of the culture they live in. And then there's like all these nuances, right? There's like all these like camps, like abstinence only. And then people are rebelling against that and then kind of gender dynamics and like, Oh man, it's the messy place. Yeah. And teenage hormones. And like, it's just, yeah. Social pressure and like peer pressure and all of that. Yeah. Yes. No, thank you. Yeah. So I wonder why people have a hard time. (laughs) I mean, it makes perfect sense. (laughs) Yeah. I always think when I'm thinking about from like a client perspective, who's trying to do something new. I think there's a, such an area or space for people to know that it's just, you're not always going to be motivated and you're not all, it's not always going to be fun. Like it's actually going to be really freaking hard to do this, whatever it is, whether it's like flossing or wearing a condom every time or taking your birth control every day, if you stay on the like topic of sex or like doing a workout three days a week or whatever it is. So how do you coach people through that? Who are like, this is just so hard. I can't be motivated all the time. Like, what do you do? Yeah, no. And that's true. You can't be, it's impossible. No. Yeah. You can definitely can't be. So what do you do? So again, you, you figure out how it can actually fit into your life. That's the first thing, right? So you're not going to be motivated all the time, but when you're making a plan to stick to habits or behavior changes or whatever, you want to make sure that you can do the, the easiest thing, right? So for example, if you want to use the condom every time, <laughs> like having it close by is going to be helpful, right? Yeah. Versus like having to go to a different room or you have none on hand, right? That's just like one simple example, but making it as easy as possible. And then also not beating yourself up. We can skip to a different example, but not beating yourself up <laughs> if you don't, if you don't do the thing. So if we're thinking about workouts or yeah. food or, you know, not necessarily other stuff, but um, not beating yourself up. Yeah. If you don't because you will fail. And you, you will have failures. I'm not saying like you're going to fail every time, but you will. I failed drastically this week or was it last week? Yeah. I signed up for this 10K. There was just, I had to do it. 
the whole thing, but I signed up for this 10K and I couldn't do it. I couldn't complete the 10K, but I, I did five miles and you know, I have, I'm having some stomach GI issues and they were acting up and I just couldn't run the whole thing. And I did the best I could. Five miles is still pretty good. I walked a lot of it. And at the end, I totally was beating myself up. Why couldn't you do it? Why couldn't you push through it? Like what's blah, 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 all that chatter. And then I took a step back and I was like, well, you were having pretty terrible GI distress this whole time and you still finished five miles. And so that's pretty good, right? It's better than not doing anything. So kind of figuring out those ways to talk to yourself as well when you have those failures. I think that's even more important than actually getting the thing done. Yeah. So I think, I think if you can learn to talk to yourself, like you were a best friend, like that's almost a bigger reward than actually like flossing every day or running the 10 K or whatever it is, because that's like a major skill that most of us don't know how to do because we know how to be successful by being assholes to ourselves. Like you didn't run the 10 K. So next time you're going to run further and faster and harder. And like, just like this self criticism that we think is going to make us more successful and actually it doesn't do that at all. It just makes it worse. It does the opposite, I think, because then you're like scared to run the 10K again, almost. You know, it's yeah. like that punishment doesn't actually help as much as you think it will. Rather no. being kind. And then also just I think the other thing we do is we bite off more than we can chew. And we underestimate how much we can do in a year, but we overestimate how much we can do in a day. And I feel like with these types of things, like behavior change in general, or like moving from where you are to where you want to be, the magic happens in working towards that year goal, right? Like it's like the small steps that eventually build up. And then at the end of the year, you're like, whoa, I did more than I could have ever imagined versus trying to do everything in one day, like cram it in in a short amount of time. So really small, sustainable steps, talking to yourself kindly, like all those things. It could all seem so simple, right? I know like it's funny. I don't know why, especially health ends up being this way. Like, okay, I'm going to sleep this many hours and then I'm going to do this workout. And then I'm going to do, what is that program? Like 75 hard or whatever the heck that it's like, you do all of these things. And it's like, no wonder why you don't ever stick to them because you're just burning out and it's so hard. Then you beat yourself up for not sticking to it. Like I wouldn't want to stick to something either. Like you're creating this environment that isn't fun to be in. Exactly. Exactly. Imagine if you did walked 10 minutes every day for a year and you just actually just did that every day for a year, right? It sounds like, Oh, nothing, whatever. But imagine if you did that instead of starting 75 hard and then failing and then starting again. And then being like, Nope, this program isn't for me. Let me try this other thing. Nope. That didn't work. I'm just going to like sit on the couch for two weeks and then, Oop, let me try, you know, like haphazardly. I bet you, if you've looked at it and this is not scientific, but walking every day for 10 minutes is going to probably have like a, a greater effect on your health than yeah. bouncing between these things. I don't have scientific proof for this by any means, but when I was running or training for a 50 K a couple of years ago, and I don't recommend anyone just doing that either. Uh, but training for it was great, but it was total mind fuck because I was being so mean to myself about PRs and setting times and expecting my training runs to go a certain way. But the training run that I was the nicest to myself, I let myself walk and drink water when I wanted and like eat the snacks and like enjoy the view. I PR'd that run. And so it's not a coincidence. Like, of course I ran faster that time, even though I walked more because I was so much nicer to myself. Like I didn't have the weight of meanness on board and it was way more enjoyable. Like imagine that. Exactly. You can actually enjoy these changes you're bringing into your life. Now that doesn't mean they're not going to be hard. Like it will still be very hard. Running a 50 K is very hard. Running one mile is very hard. You know, 
it's not that it's not going to be hard and have its challenges. And there's going to be days you don't want to do the thing and all of that stuff. But imagine if you could make it more enjoyable for yourself. Yeah. Like, what could that actually be look hard? Like? Yeah. Exactly. Like a, let it be hard. Like it's okay that it's hard. So right. That's it. Super simple. Exactly. Instead of attaching these other things to it, I can't do this. This means I'm a terrible person. Or, you know, if you start to attach all these other things to something when really it's no, this is just a hard goal I have. It's okay. I can do it. And I'll beat myself up in the process. Easier said than done. Yeah, totally. Of course. (laughs) It's always a practice. Okay. So we both work with people who are really freaking busy, right? Like the people that listen to this podcast are like burnt out professionals who can't really fathom spending more time on extracurriculars, right? They set a goal, but they're like, how am I going to fit in this workout? Or how am I going to fit in this new health habit or whatever it is? Yeah. And you suggested like fitting it in where you can and like starting small. Like what is the smallest someone could possibly start with if they have some big goal to add more exercise or run a half marathon or whatever it is? Yeah. Oh gosh, run a half marathon. That one's tough because you have to put in the miles, right? But I mean, so there's this amazing researcher named BJ Foggs who does a lot of work on habits. He's incredible. And he would say to start the smallest possible thing So for example, if you're trying to read more every night, he would say, start by just picking up the book before bed and then putting it down. Mm. And then the next night he would say, pick it up, maybe read one line, you know, and just like really start with something very doable so that you build the confidence and the ability to do the thing, right? Versus like, I'm going to read four chapters every night before bed. And it's like, well, what if, you know, the kids don't go down or (laughs) work comes up and you have a lot of things to do and you just can't, you can't do it. And then you go into that cycle of beating yourself up. Whereas if your goal is so small, it's like, I'm going to read three lines. And it's like, I did the thing. And then maybe you have more time. And maybe you end up reading a chapter. So I would say, I mean, if you have a very tangible goal that you're working toward, like a very concrete goal, like a half marathon, first, I would ask, <laughs> figure out like why you want to do it. Does it actually fit into your current life? Like assess it. Like, is this something you really want to do? Why? I would say start as small as possible. And I mean, people think that's silly and oh, but... I can run more than that. Or I can read a chapter every night. That's nothing. It's like, well, you shouldn't really be making these plans when you're in your best space. You kind of want to make these plans when you're having your worst day because that's Mm. more realistic, right? Than when you're having your best day. I've never heard that before. That is so fascinating because people are normally making goals when they're really inspired or are aspiring to do something like thinking like resolutions are kind of coming up. Like we're recording this since the end of September and people are already thinking about the last quarter of the year and like setting some big goals either to finish the year out or to start the new year fresh. And so that's really, I've never heard that to set a goal or something whenever you're having a a really bad day. I mean, that's honestly, you'll set a more realistic like plan for yourself because Mm -hmm. that is what we do, right? We get inspired, we get excited. And it's that whole, that still that concept. Think we can do more in a day. We underestimate how much we can do in a year. It's because then we're like, okay, I'm going to run this half marathon. Then I'm going to do this marathon. Then I'm going to do like, you just, you're excited. You're like, yes, I got this. And then when the training gets really tough, you're like, why did I do this? I can't do this. Yeah. I think planning planning when you're having a bad day is you'll come up with a more realistic plan for your life, for your goals. Then if you plan on a day when you're feeling super motivated, super great, everything's good. You can you take over the world, right? Because that's the thing. Motivation's fleeting. As we know, it comes, it goes. But the consistency is the key, really. So the small, the small steps that you can take. And um, on your worst days, you're going to be a lot more realistic about that. 
It's so interesting that you said the word consistency too, because I'm seeing a lot of conflicting information about consistency and it's interesting because I think it depends on the goal. Like, right. If I want to floss every day, I should be pretty freaking consistent (laughs) to floss, but right. My goal would probably be if I was to break it up, start with one day or even just pull off the floss and like cut myself a piece off (laughs) or something. I don't know. But um, Jay Foggs would say one tooth. He would say, start with one tooth. And then I would, of course, do all of my teeth because I'm not going to just do one tooth. But I was thinking about consistency. And if you think about like reading a book, you don't have to read every single day to finish a one book a month or something. No. So I think two people can like kind of back off a little bit on like the consistency thing. I think it's also goal dependent, right? It's flossing versus reading or running, but we don't have to, we don't have to do something every single day in order for us to be consistent. And we don't have to do something every single day period to hit our goals. No. Oh, I completely agree with that. For sure. It's goal dependent, right? Some things would require that, whereas others wouldn't for sure. And then I think it's also just based on, yeah, like you said, like what is your definition of hitting this goal look like? What is your definition of consistency with this goal too, right? Like, so for some people, consistency might be doing something every day, but for some, it might be like once a week, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important too, but I think you can't do the thing once a year, unless it is like a once a year thing, like going to the pumpkin patch (laughs) consistently every year. (laughs) Hey, I can consistently go to pumpkin patch every single year. Oh my gosh. Where I grew up, we have the best pumpkin patch in the world, like hands down Bishop's pumpkin farm for anyone's ever in Northern California. It is absolutely a must to attend and go to Bishop's in the month of September and October. It's Gloria. That's I just saw a friend post something about it today on Instagram. I was like, oh my gosh, I want to go. <laughs> I haven't been in years. But okay, speaking of those pumpkin farms, that pumpkin farm has brought me so much joy. And you, it's like so such a perfect little segue. You're the queen of small joys. Yes. You do all these small joy challenges. Can you share your like science and the magic to the madness or madness of yes. magic of small joys. For sure. Yes. Small joys make are the best. So basically small joys are those small things throughout your day that give you a burst of joy or make you smile or make you feel, feel something, feel something good. Right. So it can be, I don't know, a beautiful flower you see, or the smell of the ocean, or maybe your first sip of your tea, or if you're a coffee drinker, which I'm not, so that's not a small joy for me. Yeah, all these little things that bring you joy throughout the day. And so the idea with small joys is really that no matter how bad your day might be, no matter how terrible your circumstances might be, there's usually some things throughout the day that will bring you some small amount of joy in some way. And joy doesn't have to mean like best thing in the world, but just this moment of something, right? And the idea is the more you see them, the more they're there. They compound on each other. And then suddenly you start to see that your life actually has more joy in it than you maybe even realized. And I think during COVID, when we had you know lots of lockdowns and the monotony of life became very apparent, right? Where you're, each day is blending into the next, it becomes very hard to see the days being different or even to find joy in circumstances. Mm-hmm. Life has been weird the last two years. But even throughout that, you can still, you still have these moments. Like maybe your best friend texts you and it makes you smile. Or you go for a walk and you notice something different on your walk or someone smiles at you or, you know, you notice a cloud that looks like a teddy bear or something. I don't know, something random. And it can really change your perspective on your life and the way you're living. And I think about this too. Victor Frankl is this incredible psychologist. 
And he kind of came up with this theory, the school of thought in psychology called logotherapy, which is really about the concept of imbuing your life with meaning and that that sort of drives motivation in life. Because, you know, people will come, will talk to me about small joys and be like, well, you know, things are terrible or my life is really bad or all these bad things are happening. And I, and that's very true, right? But Viktor Frankl was in Auschwitz, which I feel like is one of the worst situations you can mm-hmm. think about for humanity, right? And while he was there, he talks about this in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, amazing book. I highly recommend. He talks about this idea of like, even in those dire circumstances, finding moments of meaning for life in these very uncertain circumstances where you don't know if you're going to live or die. You don't know what's happened to your family. You don't know like anything looking up and seeing, you know, a bird or these shared moments of faith or whatever it might be. So this idea of like imbuing your life with meaning and small joys is really another way to do that, right? Imbuing your everyday life with more meaning for yourself. I love that so much. I mean, it's such an amazing testament to know that you and your mind are separate from your circumstances too. Like, of course, there are awful, awful circumstances in the world, but they don't control your mind or your brain that you could still find moments of joy or happiness anytime, anywhere, wherever you are. And nothing else has control over that but you. Like, that's so empowering and also really, really, really beautiful. It is, right? It is empowering and beautiful. And the other part that I really love about it too is that they're your own, right? Your mm-hmm. small joys are not going to be the same as someone else's. And when I, I think about that, I mean, like even with behavior change stuff, right? We often look at other people and what they're doing and we're like, okay, well, this person did that. And that means that that's how I should do it too. And I feel like on Instagram, we're inundated with that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> people working out in a certain way or doing this or doing that, or like this guy like dropped out of university and then built this million dollar company. So you don't have to go to university and you can still do this. Or Beyonce has X number of hours in the day and look at what she does. You can do it too. And it's like, well, yeah, but also maybe that's not the path for you or maybe that's not how you work. And that's okay. (laughs) You know, what is your definition of success? What actually matters to you? And how does that work for you? And so small joys is like this like tiny, tiny tool, (laughs) I think fits into that broader idea of that as well. These are your joys. There's nothing else to it, right? Just like your life is your life. It's not Beyonce's life. (laughs) (laughs) Who do do I, I don't even know if I want that life. Right. And I think that's what goes to like the joy thing. Is it also when you pay attention to what does bring you joy, you notice what doesn't, which I think is also extremely empowering because we kind of get sucked into just life stuff and you kind of associate and disassociate really. And so when you start to really tap into what is joyous, what you do enjoy, what you do desire, what you, what makes you feel good and satisfied and accomplished, you can differentiate from what doesn't. It's kind of fascinating actually, instead of just thinking you're going with the motion all the time and you have to always have misery to be successful. And it definitely is not the case. Oh yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That piece is really important too. I mean, it's been a lifesaver for me during, especially during like lockdowns and COVID and being away from family for so long, it became this practice that really imbued my life with so much meaning. Like I now see flowers everywhere I go. Like I, 
I will find the flowers growing somewhere. And that's purely from, I started noticing them on my walks. They brought me lots of joy. And then I started wanting to learn more about them. And I, I literally will go on a walk and I will find flowers. Yeah. Interesting. And what a fun beha- way to do and incorporate behavior change too, right? Like you know that flowers bring you joy. You want more joy. So you go out and you seek it. Exactly. Yes. Oh, so amazing. <laughs> yeah. We all should seek more joy. And, but also we, we don't need to be joyous all the time. Like I think part of life is knowing yeah. that you're not always going to be joyous and happy and Zen and all the amazing things, but you have yeah. control over adding more of it to your life. And whenever you know what creates joy for you, you can go out and go get it or create it. Exactly. Exactly. And that's a really important point too, in distinction, because that's the other piece, right? That this idea and in yoga, I feel like this can happen a lot too. Like, you know, all good vibes only, and we're only positive here and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And that is just not how life is. And that is just not healthy for yeah. anyone. No. Like you need to sit with those other emotions as well. Those other feelings, those things that come up. Right. But that doesn't mean that, I don't know. It doesn't mean that if those things come up, that your entire day is shot or that your entire life is shot or, you know, like emotions happen, but there is capacity to have joy in your everyday life in small ways, even when you are having those really hard emotions. It's duality. Yeah, certainly. It's 50, 50. You're going to experience both or all of the emotions in one day. It's hundred percent possible. Yep. It's kind of like uh, weather in San Francisco. <laughs> I will gladly not experience that at the moment. <laughs> it's so damn cold there. People do not realize that. Okay. So if you are talking to someone who wants to add more joy into their life, yeah. what do you suggest? What do you, what do you do? Yeah. So I would say you start by just noticing throughout the day, what things are bringing you joy, like just, and savor it. So that's why I love my small joy challenges. I haven't done one in a while. So this is like sparking the idea that I should, should do another one let's soon. But do whole, it. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. But that's what that was all about. It was about just even one thing a day, right? So noticing one small thing a day that brings you some joy, but not just like being like, Oh yeah, that was great. And then moving on, just savor it for like five seconds. So if it is your first sip of your coffee in the morning, can you just savor it for five seconds? Like, what does it feel like? What does it smell like? What about this is giving you joy? And just take it in. Because often that's the other thing, right? We have all these little moments and we just brush past them because we're so mm-hmm. busy. We're rushing to a meeting. We're rushing to do this. We're doing... Like, what if you just took five seconds or 10 seconds and just savored that moment and then continued on your day, right? It doesn't have to be this long drawn out process, but that's how I would start. Find one small thing in your day that brings you some sort of joy. And it can be a smile. It can be however you define joy for you. I mean, that is literally how behavior change works is by awareness, right? Awareness precedes change. And so if you want to add more joy, just start noticing what brings you joy. If you want to floss your teeth more like me, just notice when you don't floss your teeth. (laughs) Bring bring attention to it, right? That's all we have to do is just shine a little flashlight in our brain on the thing that we want to change. And the more attention we bring to it, change is going to come. Exactly. That's the first, the very first step, just noticing, noticing. Okay. Michaela, this conversation has been wonderful. I am going to ask you one more question and what would you suggest or recommend or say, or a tip for someone to thrive? 
Oh, a tip for someone to thrive. I would say look for the joy. Honestly, I know it sounds kind of cliche and, you know, cheesy or whatever, but I truly do think the more you look for it, the more you see it, the more it's there. And then the more you have that in your life and what is thriving. And when I think of thriving, I think it's like living your best life, but not in a way that's like, you're only happy, you're only joyous living, living with the duality of the emotions, enjoying your life. And how do you enjoy your life on the daily? It's looking for those small moments, those small things, those small connections. So looking for the joy. That's how, that's what I would say. Yeah. And think about it, like back to the walking example, if you found a fragment of joy every single day, imagine how much joy you would actually create versus expecting yourself to be joyous all day, every day. When you find out that you're not, then you're just disappointed and discouraged. And then you've collected so much disappointment and discouragement instead. So I love that tip. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you just don't know what it could unlock, right? Like never in my life did I think that I would be so intrigued by flowers, but now I have this app that will tell you exactly the name of the flowers. You just take a picture and it tells you the names, which is pretty cool. I've learned so much through that too. It unleashed something new that I didn't even know was something I I loved. I just don't know. Yeah. Okay. So Michaela, tell everyone how they can connect with you. How can they learn more about you or follow you on Instagram or what can they do to stay in touch? Yeah. So on Instagram, um, my handle is Michaela Davis underscore. (laughs) And I'm definitely very accessible there. Reply to all my DMs there, or you can reach out through email, which is also all on the Instagram page. So yeah, Instagram would be the best place to reach out right now. Cool. I will drop a link to follow along on Michaela's small joy challenge that I'm going to encourage her to host in the very near future. And you can also learn all about the lovely flowers she finds on her daily walks. I'll put that in the show notes. (laughs) Perfect. Well, thank thank you you so much. much. Thanks for coming on and sharing all about behavior change and small joys. It was a joy for me to have you on and I will talk to you soon. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. for joining this week on Thrive 9 to 5. If this episode hit home for you, because I know it did, join Thrive Weekly, a newsletter for people just like you who are looking to do success differently. The link to subscribe is in the show notes below. You can also follow along on Instagram at Celeste double underscore Harrington. And as always, subscribe to the Thrive 9 to 5 podcast so you can stay up to date as new episodes drop each week. I'll talk to you next time.